0: Next Generation Innovators is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of this land, and we pay our respects to the elders, past, present, and emerging. Hi, I'm Alicia Stevenson, Chief Commercial Officer at Future Women, and your host for Next Generation Innovators, a Future Women podcast in partnership with Oz Industries Entrepreneurs Program. Each week, we tap into the stories behind some of Australia's most successful entrepreneurs and how they've scaled their ideas into successful businesses. Rachel Zara is an artist and designer from Goran Country, who uses her work as a powerful tool to educate others about her culture and its evolution. Her work has been emblazoned on the side of Brisbane buses, projected in lights on the William Jolly Bridge, and is in high demand following sold-out exhibitions and collaborations with Concrete Jellyfish and, most recently, How We Roll. She was also the lead artist for the Suncorp Super Netball and Queensland Firebirds Indigenous Uniforms. Rachel Zara, welcome to Next Generation Innovators.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Rachel, there is a perception that a lucky few get to do the thing they love more than anything as their job. Can you tell us about the moment you knew you could make a living out of being an artist?
1: I mean, if I'm completely honest with you, I feel like I still second guess that a little bit, even now, having art as a career, but I definitely think probably one of the first industry jobs I was still a bit hesitant, and then I started working for an indigenous agency um creative agency, and I think it was when I discovered the best of both worlds, being able to connect with my culture and also um, express that in a creative way was kind of like. The moment where I was like, okay, this is, this is my space in the world. And you describe your
0: work as using art as a powerful tool for education about First Nations culture. So I'd like you to break that down for us a little bit in terms of how do you see your work communicating age-old stories and themes?
1: Yeah, well, I guess for me, like all of my work is connected to my identity and know, as First Nations people, we are a nation of nations. And I think that diversity is something that we really need to celebrate. And I think I started my business to be someone who I needed when I was younger. So my work, although it's very influenced by, you know, the 60 plus thousand years of culture I have had before me, it's also, I guess, about telling the narratives of the now. And I guess that's through my experiences as a First Nations woman. So It is answering the age-old questions and celebrating our culture, but it's also kind of paying respect to where we are now as a culture. And I think for me, I'm just one small part of that narrative, one small part of that journey. And if anything, I would like my work not to be about what my stories are, but the space that I'm taking up and kind of celebrating all of our diverse stories, I guess, as people. And collectively, I feel like that's where we can really celebrate our culture and where we are now and take a moment to see the reality of colonization and how differently we all are surviving in this world and getting through day to day. So it's very much an internal journey. I don't like to speak for everyone as a First Nations woman, but I definitely feel like my work is a very personal journey. But at the same time, a lot of people can see themselves reflected because it's been a while since we've had the freedom or the trust in each other to kind of speak on our stories.
0: Rachel, I think that's a really beautiful turn of phrase to say, I'm very mindful of the space I take up. I think that's a beautiful way um, to talk about your, or one's participation in one's own culture and other cultures. And looking at your art, it is unmistakably Aboriginal in its essence, and it is fun, and it is young and it is fresh. And when you're really in your creative space, what is the messaging that you're trying to convey through your art?
1: Yeah, I guess it's that celebration of our diversity. When I was growing up, a lot of the art that I saw represented in textbooks was very different to the type of art that I personally resonated with. So the work that I create now is kind of paying homage to my culture, but also taking it into a contemporary space. And I do that a lot through, you know, color theory and what certain colors represent and that emotional connection to color and composition and texture. So a lot of my work, like I said, is an extension of my experiences. So if I'm going through a darker time, obviously that comes through in the creative, but I probably work through it in a way that what the audience is seeing is overcoming that hardship or overcoming that negative space in my mind. Because for me, I feel there's like enough negative stories or enough trauma amongst our people that I want to be a person that is really celebrating the beauty of overcoming and being resilient within our culture and within ourselves.
0: From my side of things, I see so much beauty uh, in what you create Now you've collaborated with jewellery designer Concrete Jellyfish Co and recently with the eco-friendly household product company How We Roll. And I wanted to ask how important are these collaborations for your business?
1: I think they're absolutely important for business. It's like a beautiful way to kind of bounce ideas of different people. I think as an artist, it can be quite isolating. So it's nice to collaborate with different minds and different creatives. And each collaboration brings something different. I guess, you know, working with Renee at Concrete Jellyfish Co, it really brings culture into this idea of wearable art and wearable storytelling. And breaking into a mainstream industry is an important pathway for me, because that's a way that we can kind of call people in and share culture and you know, create open conversations and how we roll is another beautiful kind of collaboration for me. And although it's a bit funny, it's toilet paper, I love what they stand for. I love that they're very eco-conscious. They're a great brand. Visually they align to my brand. So being able to work with brands like that and I guess see my work on products that I probably wouldn't have the ability to do and also limit the overheads that I have as an artist. It's a really good way to kind of yeah, share my work, um evolve my community and you know market my work while just basically yeah, not having to pay the overheads which sounds very funny but it's a huge aspect of business.
0: Well, that's right. And look, if you want to be a business owner, those things are, you know, unavoidable and I'm really glad that you talk about them so candidly because part of The wonderful thing that this podcast is attempting to achieve is making us all really comfortable in having those conversations. And so on that note, have you ever started out on a collaboration uh, as an artist but knew it wasn't really going to work? And if so, what were the telltale signs of it?
1: I mean, for the most part, my collaborations have been, you know, quite seamless. There are probably more in a commercial setting rather than my own brand. I also work as a commercial artist with, you know, corporate businesses. It's probably more there where I see a little bit of, you know, the red flags come up. And a lot of that's based around intent versus action. And I think a lot of businesses are willing to say they're going to put in the work. But then when push comes to shove... Actually, following through on that is where they start to fall short. And, you know, it's often a conflicting space to be in because, on the one hand, you know, having a seat at the table, I do believe there's such a strong power that art and design can kind of create change. And I know going into a situation like that, you know, I'm going to think critically and I'm going to challenge um, the status quo within those spaces. But sometimes it's daunting because you're battling, you know, a brand structure that doesn't allow for culture to break through or there's resistance to actually do the work to create change. So how I often see it breaking down is really probably the breakdown of communication um, just like in the dating world, clients can ghost you and you kind of like, well, what happened there? But it definitely starts with the breakdown of communication and then you start to see, I guess, less and less engagement. Sometimes it's great to kind of pull the plug on it and often sometimes, unfortunately, there are contractual agreements that you have to maintain. Um, And so being a First Nations woman working with corporates, it can be difficult to kind of create that change by yourself and, you know, fight against the systemic racism that is so, I guess, prominent within those corporate structures.
0: And so on this note as well, what advice do you have for listeners who see the potential for collaborations in their business but they're not quite sure how to approach it?
1: Anything with business comes down to your personal values. So being really clear on who you are as a person and what you want to represent and what future you want to create, and if that brand aligns to those values. Often, there's times where potentially brands don't align to those values, but there's opportunity and willingness to change. And so, that's kind of the gamble that sometimes you have to take. Others, it's seamless, like how we roll um, concrete jellyfish. It seems really easy, the doors just continually open. But I think understanding where you want to go with the collaboration, and what you want to achieve and how that relates to your own brand first and foremost, and your own personal values as well.
0: Rachel, you have really beautifully said in the past that your creativity comes from what's happening around you. So the people that you meet, the places you go, the experiences, as well as which you've mentioned at the top of the podcast, the hardships and the injustices, but it's a bit of a balancing act, I think, because always delving into things around you and always trying to seek that out can be pretty mentally, I'd I'd imagine, and physically fatiguing. How do you manage the balance of that, I suppose, as a work-life balance question, but as a creative life balance question as well?
1: I think it's been really tough, particularly this last year, I think, where we've seen the Black Lives Matter movement kind of really be elevated and amplified, um, which I think personally is great to be able to talk about it. But I guess it is something that brings up a lot of trauma for a lot of people. And, you know, being an empath, I I tend to feel other people's emotions as well. So being able to make sure I can differentiate what my personal emotions are and what I'm kind of taking on or what other people are kind of projecting onto me is difficult to navigate. And I think as Aboriginal people, we kind of talk about walking in two worlds and now we're walking in three worlds with social media and that can be such a powerful place, but it can be such, you know, a dark and I guess this call-out culture as well is being amplified. But I think you kind of just have to be surrounded by people who know you outside of any of your brands, any of your social media platforms, have people who know you know your integrity and kind of be anchored to that as well as being able to reflect on your own actions and your own thinkings. And I guess, again, it comes back to your personal values as well. And if you're swaying from those values, take a moment to kind of reflect on that and understand that.
0: Rachel, you've been really, really clever in creating designs that can be used across a range of mediums like canvas prints, uh, clothing, stationery, pins, totes, (laughs) downloadable gift cards. Um, Now is this a conscious choice from the start because it makes good business sense or was it something that happened organically?
1: Well what some people might not know although I kind of label myself as an artist I am a trained graphic designer and visual communication designer so naturally it progressed and it's a skill set that's kind of lends itself to my experience but I think it is an easy way to kind of share culture by um, you know not everyone has the money to fork out and grab like an artwork but by having a range of products with different price points it allows people to not only connect with my brand but also connect with the messages I'm putting out so it definitely was a conscious decision but at the same time it is also something that happened quite naturally.
0: We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after a word from our partner Oz Industries Entrepreneurs Programme.
1: The Entrepreneurs' Programme can get you from where you are to where you want to be. Our team of independent business experts can help you bring your ideas and innovations to life. We've got the tools and the networks to get you on the way. And you may be eligible for funding to make it happen. To find out how the Entrepreneurs' Programme can help you take your business to the next level, visit business.gov.au forward slash EP or call 132846.
0: Welcome back to Next Generation Innovators, where our guest today is artist, designer and businesswoman, Rachel Zara. Rachel, I'm really interested to know if you could change one thing about how art is used in communications around First Nations theming and First Nations people, what would it be one thing you could change?
1: I would love it to be funded better, firstly. Um, I think art sector in general is very underfunded. I would love to have better outcomes, I think. For a lot of people, they feel like just by throwing an artwork onto a poster to celebrate or to bring awareness to First Nations people is enough. But being a commercial artist and working with clients, it's you get this behind the curtain look at things. And, you know, I've been in boardrooms with, you know, the highest up of companies making decisions. And you look around the room and there's no First Nations representation within these decisions, but then they're relying solely on the artwork to make the change. And I think what I would love to see is the artwork being represented by Indigenous voices and Indigenous-led creative strategies within a whole structure so I guess it's like if you think about baking a cake right and the artwork as the icing if you bake a cake and it's half cooked and you put the icing on it's just obviously going to go everywhere but the real strength in I guess the cake and the idea of art is that it ties it all together and it's something to be celebrated but you can't do that without you know it being part of the core business.
0: I wanted to ask you as well because you, you talk a lot and we're, we're on this vein already about doing things differently when it comes to representation and preservation of Australian culture. And obviously the way the cake is baked and then destroyed and rebaked, uh, is one really important element of that. But what else does that look like for you?
1: I also think if we stay on the cake metaphor, there's enough cake for everyone. So although I celebrate that I'm doing things differently, I'm doing things differently based off my experiences and that can't exist in isolation. And what I think we as a nation in general need to acknowledge that by doing one thing, it's not going to serve everyone. It's not going to serve every First Nations person. And I think when I talk about holding space, it's, you know, holding space for my experiences, but then also being an example for, I would like to say the younger mob coming through to own their story and own their narrative. You know, there's been a lot of stereotypes that we're still fighting, I guess. And and a lot of people have something to say about what you're doing. But ultimately, if you're guided by your elders, if you're grounded in your culture and you know who you are, actually, not even if you do know who you are, because I think for the most part, I'm still kind of in an identity crisis, but it is that journey and it's staying true to that journey. I think if you're aware And you have people around you to work through that. That's how we're doing things differently because for so long as not only women, but as First Nations women, we've been silenced. So it's about owning our voice, owning our story and, you know, taking up space. Rachel,
0: aside from being silenced, what contributes to the identity crisis that you experience?
1: For me, being a mixed race Aboriginal person with lighter skin, obviously that does come with such a huge privilege but it also comes with such a complex, I guess, identity. Many times I've been told that I'm not Aboriginal because I've got light skin. I'm not Aboriginal because I don't speak my language or live on country. And I think for me, that's where it's tough.
0: Is this identity crisis represented in your artwork? And if so, uh, what would be a piece that would represent this to, to audiences?
1: Yeah, I think... Was it, no, it would have been the year before last. It's gone on now. Let's just rule out all of last year, hey? That's right. Um,
0: <laughs> By 2020, so you never.
1: Yeah. I, I was transitioning out of my full-time job in a creative agency into working for myself and I actually had the absolute honour to do a solo exhibition with Blacklash Creative at Open House in Brisbane, and that exhibition was a state of transition. And what it explored was these themes that I personally was going through, breaking out of a a toxic environment in the creative industry, I guess, into a world where there's a lot of unknowns working for yourself. But then also battling things like understanding who I am as an individual, understanding who I am as an artist, understanding who I am as a business. And then also with grappling with imposter syndrome all at the same time, All of that contributes to my work in some ways, and it comes out in different ebbs and flows. And sometimes it's a a more darker place, sometimes it's a more optimistic place. But absolutely, I think because my work is an extension of my experiences, you definitely can tell when I feel a little bit lost in my identity. Which I think the vulnerability is something that it would be great if I didn't have it, but it's also something that I'm proud to share because. I feel like by sharing that, again, it comes back to being who I needed when I was younger. I feel like by sharing that, it's allowing younger mob who may be going through something else to kind of feel like it's okay to kind of have those, I guess, thought processes.
0: Rachel, being asked to work for free for the sake of it, because it's great exposure (laughs) for you. I'm sure (laughs) you have heard this. (laughs)
1: Triggered. Yeah.
0: I had a feeling this was not going to be this was not going to be a question where you would go. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. No. Um, what's been your experience with this, and how do you personally manage it?
1: I don't know anyone who's paid a mortgage off with exposure, so I don't know why that exists. <laughs> um, look, to be honest, exposure is a great thing. I definitely think, in some capacity, it's important. However, with social media. I feel like you can get exposure while still just putting out your work, whereas I feel very upset and undervalued as a creative, especially as a creative, when big corporates want to do things for exposure or want to benefit from your knowledge and your lived experiences for, I guess, their cultural street cred, essentially. That's one thing that really bugs me. But then also on top of exposure, there's pretty much you can be getting a fee, and still be being ripped off I guess um one thing i am starting to share with my audience and close friends in the industry is contractual agreements and what that means for you as a creative because often you can have your copyright and that says that and then further down there's things like waiving moral rights and the license agreements for your work and there's many ways without the knowledge of i guess being and existing as a creative that you can be ripped off. And I think exposure is the biggest one, but you know, they're having a go at us from every direction. So we kind of need to be onto it and stick together as business owners and freelancers.
0: Do you have any commentary on how Australia views its artists and how we value artists in Australia as a society and as a culture?
1: If you were to look at the annual budget, and how much funding is being taken from the creative industry. It's very obvious how little Australia values artists. Um, And also just recently in Brisbane, Craig Goma has a helmet exhibition and one of the artists um, has, she has a helmet that has FTP. So F the police. And so her work is being criticized and silenced and I guess censored by community and gomez's response really was quite powerful in that it's art and it's challenging society's perceptions and experiences in the world from artists expressing themselves. And I think that's what it is about. Like art really is challenging the status quo. And for me, that's why I feel like there is less perceived value in art because we, are, we do challenge people. We challenge people how to kind of think about their bias, how they think about you know, their experiences. And I personally think it's powerful and I hope Australia one day will be able to feel the same, but I just don't think they do right now. Culturally,
0: we inherit, I suppose, the generational overhang of the past, including colonialism and including all of the things that were done and the fact that, you know, uh, colonialists were not the first Australians. Um, What we see is, is a movement with each generation's toward, or it could be argued toward more acceptance, certainly towards exposure around cultures and trying to uh, come together as a, as a single people to support one another. Is that also your general feeling? And what advice would you give? to, uh, for example, Gen Zers, those under the age of sort of 22, 23-ish, 21, depending on who you talk to, (laughs) (laughs) about the importance of art and about the importance of Aboriginal culture in their lives?
1: Yeah. Well, I think the interesting thing is 1967 was a referendum where overwhelmingly uh, people voted yes for Aboriginal rights. And, you know, the scary thing is in 1967 my dad was seven years old. And so I think we have a warped sense of history and timeline of when things were happening. I think if we bring it back to the yes vote for same-sex marriage, we are starting to see a shift. And for me, you mentioned come together as, as a one people, but for me, I think it's not necessarily coming together as a one people, but acknowledging our differences, acknowledging our strengths and our diversity. And collectively sitting and standing next to each other to create that change. And I think we can only do that by sharing our unique voices and our unique experiences because ultimately everyone on this earth in Australia is the outcome of colonisation. And we truly can't understand the effects of colonisation if we're only listening to one perspective of the outcome. And so for me, it is coming back to owning your story, owning your identity and sharing that powerfully and confidently in your vulnerability as well, to be able to really paint the picture of, I guess, where we are now. And I think for me, my art outlet is art. And for a lot of people, it can be art because I think it, it's yours. When you have maths and science as a perceived outcome, there's a correct answer. But art is something that you can hold on to you and it can be expressed in your way and no one can take that expression away from you. And I think that's why I have found my place in art, because, you know, it's such a powerful medium to express yourself.
0: Rachel, it has been a delight and a pleasure to talk to you. And, you know, as you mentioned, you are really walking the walk on being what you need to see for young budding artists, for uh, First Nations women. And, you know, with great perspectives and, and a great approach, I cannot thank you enough for sharing your wisdom and coming on the podcast with us today. And we wish you all the very best with everything moving forward.
1: Thank you so much and all the best to you guys
0: as well. Thanks so much for listening. Next Generation Innovators is a Future Women podcast made in partnership with Oz Industries Entrepreneurs Program. It's produced by Good Shout and it's recorded at Castaway Studios. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode and we'll see you next week.